Hello and welcome to the Chris Podcast on iCode Media. Today I had a great conversation with Kathleen Pellegrino. We talked about what new employees are looking for when they are entering the workforce. She has a podcast called Leaving the Nest and she has a, she works in a company called Rocks. It's a staffing company. It's a great conversation. Please enjoy our conversation. And as always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, write a review, share it with your friends and support those who support us. The most common questions I get include, what ophthalmological codes or evaluation and management codes should I use? What ICD-10 codes do I need to bill with this CPT code? What CPT codes can be billed together and what can't? And my favorite, how do I manage a patient who has diabetes who comes in for a quote-unquote routine eye exam? These questions really highlight the confusion and uncertainty that serves as a daunting hurdle for providers, makes it more challenging for them to care for their patients and provide those patients with the best opportunity for a lifetime of ocular health and clear vision. That's why we built iCode Education for this specific purpose. Our mission is to provide optometrists with resources to help you understand disease states, revenue cycles, and billing and coding so that you can put that on autopilot and truly care for your patients. Check out iCodeEducation.com. That's E-Y-E-C-O-D-E Education.com. We've developed a premier billing and coding bundle that includes all of our billing and coding resources in one place. We also have a 10% discount code just for listeners of this podcast. Enter the coupon code E-Y-E-C-O-D-E-M-E-D-I-A-22 at checkout. We'd love to work with you. Check out iCodeEducation.com. I want to discuss the Myday Toric contact lens for a minute. When I'm reaching for a daily lens for my patients, I need to know that it will be available in parameters that I want and it needs to work. This improves my chair time and my patient satisfaction. The Myday Toric features the same optical lens design features as the most prescribed monthly replacement Toric lens on the market. Myday Toric now completely mirrors the Biofinity Toric's parameter range. To be clear, if you find the parameter in a Biofinity Toric, you can find it in a Myday Toric. This Toric lens design is multifaceted to ensure optimal visual acuity, lens stability, fit, and comfort. Its uniform horizontal ISO thickness and wide ballast band quickly orient the lens for better performance and simplified fitting. The Myday material is CooperVision's softest one-day silicone hydrogel lens and features Aquaform technology combining a unique balance of high oxygen permeability and natural wettability. The result is a highly breathable lens that keeps our patient's eyes looking clear, white, and healthy. So if you haven't started utilizing Myday Toric in your practice, I'd encourage you to reach out to your CooperVision representative to get started. Kathleen, the, the thing that I thought was interesting when uh, your dad and I was talking was you mm. had uh, started a podcast and he was sort of talking about podcasting and he heard that I had done a podcast. And then he was telling me about what you were doing and, and I thought it would be interesting to have a conversation related to the types of things that you see um, with kind of people in your generation. As you said, you know, you and I met so probably 20 years ago, I think I was, I had to be like night. I don't think I was still in high school, but I think I was probably 19 years old. So that would have been like 22 years ago. So you would have been what? Okay. How old? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I do remember that because I was just like a little, I mean, I was probably, you know, 12, seven, I don't know. Yeah. It was yeah. a long time ago. I feel yeah, like- a long time ago. So, the, but, but, so you and I are in different generations somewhat, um, mm-hmm. but, but also it, it doesn't feel like that in a lot of cases. Like Natalie, my sister, um, you know, she is much more close to your age. Uh, and there's a lot of things that she and I are different on, you know, that she's a lot better than I am at, at things. And um, so here's the conundrum that I see from a profession, from my profession standpoint in optometry, a lot of independent practice owners are, um, you know, they're looking to sell their practices. And so they're, you know, let's say they're in their 60s, maybe late 50s, early 60s. And now you're talking not just like a 20 year gap, but a 40 year gap. And so, mm-hmm. uh, when you think about like your podcast, leaving the nest, uh, the types of things that you think about when you have a young professional coming out into the workforce, what are, what do you guys want? What do you want from your work and, and from your life? Is there sort of a catch all thing that you guys are looking for? You, you would think, I, I wish it was that easy because it, it almost seems like every single candidate we work with wants their own indiv- individual thing. Um, but I mean, overall, you know, I was just reviewing, we have a blog on our website at rockshops.com and one of the blog posts was just all about, you know, how to retain and attract kind of that entry level talent. And I mean, it's almost like you have to adjust per the generation, you know, so a lot of companies, they'll try to highlight their benefits, but instead of talking to a recent college grad about like your 401k plan that they probably don't know anything about or haven't even thought about, you might want to highlight things like your culture and the flexibility that's offered and any kind of diversity initiatives that you have in place. It's definitely more about just like the feeling that somebody gets at work rather than like their actual job responsibilities or, you you know, money definitely obviously drives a lot of factors for everybody. And the salaries have gone up quite a bit in the last couple of years. But I think what I've been noticing is positions that have a little bit more flexibility or offer more room for growth or whatever it is, um, where it's easier to fill those rather than the ones that are just going to throw money at somebody. Um, They're looking at more of a I would say like a long-term fit. I know people in our generation tend to hop around quite a bit um, versus the older generation, but even still, you know, they kind of want to know like, what's the next step? What am I working towards? So that's what really gets them excited and gets them to stay within the company once they're hired. So one of the things that I'm hearing from you is obviously there's sort of this work-life balance that becomes really important. And one of the things that can be challenging from my perspective, even at 41, uh, and certainly guys that were before me and gals that were before me that worked really hard to build their practices and to build their businesses. Uh, you know, some of this, I, I think what you're talking about really relates to kind of the, the team members, sort of the staff that we might have in our practice. But, mm-hmm. um, I do think it relates to hiring young doctors as well. And, and what that tells me is, is if we're looking for work-life balance in, in this new generation, that, that I've, my takeaway, and, and forgive me if I'm wrong, but my takeaway has been that the work is secondary to providing a lifestyle that you want. I would mm-hmm. say that in our, in my generation, or maybe, maybe my mentality as a practice owner, um, my goal has always been said, look, I want to focus on taking care of patients, running a good business. And if I do that well, then it will allow me to take care of my family. 
But one of the things I have seen, and, and again, I may be completely wrong, is that that's not the primary thing. It's almost like the work is is a secondary thing so I can do this other stuff. And and I'm not saying that's a wrong perspective. It's just totally different than, um, than the way I've looked at things. And I think a way a lot of my peers have looked at things. And that's where we miss, mm-hmm. you know, that's where we miss communications. And I would say, I feel like this was a huge shift with the pandemic and with COVID because before that, I felt like the expectations were still really high to be in the office full time, Monday through Friday, nine to, you know, whatever it is and all that. And then once everyone kind of started to learn like, okay, we can do this and there can be a little bit of flexibility or there are more things to life than just your job or whatever. I think that really hit like home to a lot of recent college grads or kind of the younger and now you know, as we've kind of moved further and further away from COVID in 2020, I am noticing companies still, you know, going back full time in the office and that's, you know, it's working out fine, you know, but I, I know the offices that we're recruiting for that are still offering the flexibility on a hybrid or work from home or whatever, just something where, like you said, has that work-life balance and people are jumping at those, you know, a lot quicker. Or, you know, we have we're recruiting for a solid position right now. Um, and it's an administrative role, Wait, but it's you 100% said solid. You said solid per, per position. That's the terminology, solid, like you're <laughs> physically there? Well, yeah, but just, you know, it's good company, good benefits, you know, okay. and just overall kind of uh, checks okay. every box is sort of what I meant. But I uh, know that's not, not what they're referring to. With that, we okay. just call it like an on-site position. But, okay. uh, you know, I had a girl today who was, you know, totally qualified for it. I thought she'd be a great fit, but she ultimately said it wasn't going to work for her because she'd rather, she'd rather take a significant pay cut for this other role that we're recruiting for only because that one is a hundred percent remote. So you're Uh, absolutely right with how they, how they weigh their priorities, I guess. Yeah. And I think that that's interesting from my perspective too, because what, what I'm hearing you say is that there's more value placed on a physical uh, an employee that's going to physically be in the office, potentially, as opposed to somebody who's going to be completely remote. Is that the case? Is that pretty customary? Uh, you know, that's a good question. I would say in this particular instance, it, it's just a totally different role as far as like qualifications and what's necessary. So that's why the other one pays significantly less rather than it's it being remote. I actually haven't seen too much of a differential between, you know, on-site and remote as far as like the pay scale goes. But yeah, it's it's interesting out there, and it's kind of just this ever changing, moving target is what we've kind of discovered. Do you? Um, so your your company is works for. Um, so like, do other companies hire your company to help them f- identify uh, employees, or you are m- matching the employee to those other uh, companies? Yeah, that actually brings up something I wanted to talk to you about too. So just a little bit of background. I work for a small staffing company called Rocks. It stands for Responsible Outgoing College Students. And our whole world is just filling entry and junior level jobs for companies kind of all throughout our area, but even just throughout up, up and down the East Coast. Uh, so it could be really any type of company will say, hey, Roxy, you know, we have a position for an administrative assistant. Could you help us get this filled? And then through our interview process, we're identifying kind of the top contenders for that. And um, the only difference is some of the roles that we're, we're filling can be remote. And I feel like in your world, you know, interacting with patients, I feel like you kind of have to be in the office. So it might be just like two totally different worlds that we're in, but it all still kind of relates to one another. 
Well, I think it I think it relates um, mainly because there's this shift in healthcare where we're trying to mm-hmm. figure out what can be done remotely, where you know um, patients are so you brought up COVID and I, I totally agree. I mean, I, I've probably told this story on the podcast before a number of times, but I'll, I'll share it with you. You know, uh, during the peak of COVID, uh, so really uh, April, the beginning of April of 2020 to the beginning of May in Nebraska, we we had kind of vague regulation. So my position on it was I'm going to be there for patients that need to be seen. What if they if they want to come in, they know the situation, they think it's urgent enough or emergent enough that that's going to satisfy that sort of urgencies or emergencies. Suspend, you know, what they called routine care and only provide mm-hmm. urgencies and emergencies. And so um so what we did was we uh shortened our hours from eight o'clock in the morning to two o'clock in the afternoon. I saw patients three days a week. My dad saw patients two days a week. And then I was on call 24 hours a day. And if you looked at a lot of the regulation, a lot of what occurred was that we were able to now, uh, there was this flexibility within telehealth where Medicare had really tight restrictions on telehealth services. Uh, so there was not really an incentive. And then it's not like doctors have to have incentive, but they were providing, if, if you had a telehealth, consult, it was basically completely cash pay or or free. And most of us would just have, you know, unfortunately just done it for free because it was a service to our patients. And so there mm-hmm. was also this really quick change where Medicare and other payers were responsive to say, look, we're going to reimburse you for these services because they are value, even though they are remote. And you're and you're and so that that really opened up a whole other kind of on call emergency where before if you were to just take call I had two options. You know, I had the option to have a phone call with a patient and say, yeah, I can, we can do this and triage it with a phone and then we'll see you on Monday. Or the other one is, no, nope, I really need to see you. And now I'm breaking apart my weekend. And so, uh, so COVID after COVID, what, what I was, so I was like, well, now there's this intermediate step where I could actually physically see patients through a screen like this and sort of get a sense of how bad it is. And and I could even get good images on a lot in a lot of cases to see what I wanted to see. And so it was a good intermediate step. I tell you all of that to say that I am not, um, I am not, uh, I, I completely understand what happened during COVID for people in the workforce. Like we designed our practice now post COVID based on what we went through with COVID. So I, I didn't want to go back uh, four days a week. I wanted to stay seeing patients three days a week. We decided that our team, we, they wanted to be home at nighttime with their families. So we stopped seeing patients. Our last patient is at 345 and we're walking out of there no later than 445. And most days we're out of there by 430. And so uh, Monday through Friday. So we, we did change the way that we, um, that we saw patients. The other thing I, I have seen is now, you know, um, you have inflation, so people are costing more, but most payers, most managed, managed care payers, you know, medical and vision managed care payers are not, um, are not giving, uh, raises to doctors commensurate with those, with the, not, not just not commensurate. They're just not giving them in this, in this stage of inflation. So as, uh, as a provider, what we are looking at is what tasks do we do physically in the office that don't have to be done physically in the office. So there is this, mm-hmm. I, I do think that what you're going through, um, our businesses may be a little bit late to that game, but we're really starting to think about how can we hire people to work remotely to be accommodating to their schedules, but also mo- maybe really more cost-effective because we can outsource a lot of that for uh, to give people that, that want um, 
to have those things remote, they, they get them remote, but it's just, they don't, they don't have the physical demands of patient care. So they don't, maybe they don't get paid as much, which helps us fight inflation. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's been working for employers who have started to kind of implement those changes. And, and like I said, I haven't really seen too much of a difference, you know, with the clients that we're working with, I haven't seen them say things like, you know, we'll offer more to somebody who comes in or offer less because it's a remote position yet. But I'm sure, you know, we're headed in that direction. Absolutely. And, you know, one thing I would say with entry level hire specifically, you know, just a heads up, I would say it's important for them to be in the office regularly at the beginning, you know, when they're just starting off and they're training, they need to learn the culture and the systems and whatever. And then, you know, it doesn't have to start off, you know, remotely. I think onboarding somebody completely remote can be challenging, but once they, you know, really, you know, learn the name of the game or whatever it is, you know, then they feel confident to be able to move on and work remotely. And then I think now we've all learned that it's important to just be able to adjust and COVID came very quickly. I know for here at Rocks, you know, we we're always 100% in the office. And then it, it was, you know, Friday, we were told starting Monday, we're working remotely. So just knowing how to adjust to that, I think we all learned a, a very big lesson back then. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it did teach a lot of lessons. Do you think people are as I mean, I, I know this probably isn't your isn't what we had really originally thought we would discuss, but it comes to mind. Do you think people mm-hmm. are are as productive remotely in, in what you see? I think so, for sure. I mean, you definitely have to keep some of them on a, a tighter leash than others. But even speaking to my own experience, you know, like I said, I, I said it a couple of times, but we used to be 100% in the office and I was so used to that lifestyle. Then once 2020 came, you know, started working remotely and now our team does a hybrid work environment. And I haven't noticed any like decrease in productivity or anything. I actually think when I come into the office, such as today, the team can be almost a little distracting because I'm working with, you know, 20 other people that are my friends and we're chatting and we have things going on. And like this morning I came in early and I just, I couldn't get anything done. I was just chit chatting with the girl next to me all day. But when I'm at home, I'm just very like, you know, I'm working now and it, it definitely depends on the person for sure. Some people have more restrict work ethic than others. You know, I'm personally not one to like have the TV on in the background or trying to do a hundred different chores at the same time as work. But there are people absolutely who take advantage or who just need to be watched a little bit, who kind of ruin it for the rest of us. But yeah, yeah it's not a perfect system. Everyone's everyone's a bit different, but I don't think it's a huge like automatic thing. You know, they're working remotely. They're probably not going to do as well, but everyone has their own opinions. If you called my dad back, he would totally disagree with me. So, so I didn't know. get a chance to talk too much to your dad about, about some of those things specifically, but he's got to be old school. I would guess, 100% right? 100% old school. Yeah, we go yeah. back and forth on this all the time. And I remember when he started to go back. First of all, the man needs to retire. I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> he's been working too wait, hard wait, So that's really interesting because, yeah, but you know, you know, that's interesting too because I, I think um, it could be that, so again, I, it could be that he just likes to do it. Don't you think? Like when I talk to him about it, I think he likes to he do does. it. And, <laughs> and and I think he gives him a purpose, right? Like that is kind of mm-hmm. a purpose. Um, it is. But yeah, yeah, you think he needs to retire? He likes to buy Jaguars. Could, yeah. He could take it down a notch, I guess. But yeah, yeah I'm glad he, he's keeping busy and he's having fun with it for sure. He, he definitely, it's his passion. Absolutely. But he is old school. And I remember he went back to work in the office at, and it wasn't even like a few days later, like one person got sick and then they passed it to this person and he was homesick. And I was like, you know, dad, if you were all working remote, you'd be working hard right now and not sick in bed. <laughs> and he, 
he was he made some kind of comment back to me, but it was funny. Do you think you're ever going to think like him? I think him and I are actually really similar. <laughs> yeah, so I, I do. Th- I think that, and actually, as I so I've been with Rocks for almost ten years now, and wow. it's been hard. It's been an adjustment for me to see all these changes because you know there's a part of me that's like when I was a recruiter and I was just starting off, we were in the office and we never did lunch breaks or whatever. And now we're a lot more flexible, but everyone's a lot happier now. So I do struggle sometimes with my younger coworkers who are coming in and they just, they don't know how easy they have it compared to uh, how it used to be. But so I am I'm basically my dad. Like him, Kathleen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. We, thank so you I've for making group, me realize yeah, that. <laughs> you're welcome. I, uh, I have a group of running buddies I've mentioned on this podcast numerous times and um, and sometimes we get out there and I think, holy cow, I, sa- I, I feel like I sound like my grandpa, you know? Um, <laughs> and it's true. I, you know, things change and I'm just trying to figure out, you know, I, I'm always like to try to think, you know, what are those changes that are going to occur and how do I not be just totally closed off to them? You know? And, and, you know, that's why, that's why I think this conversation is so helpful because I'm thinking, all right, well, I'm trying to meet, I'm trying to meet my, my team members. Uh, at the place they're at. And part of that is a totally different place, like you're describing, than it was 10 or 15 years ago when I got out of school. So what was the most interesting, like what's the most interesting or challenging position that you've had to fill uh, within Rocks? And I've got another question related to the podcast. Yeah, so I guess our internal team, we kind of start everybody off as recruiters so they can learn how to interview and fill positions. And then we try to transition them into more of like a business development sales position. Um, and that seems to be, you know, fine. And we, we don't have any issues there. I would say with our clients, the toughest positions to fill right now are accounting roles for some reason have just been few and far between. I don't know what's going on with like, with accounting, but we used to be able to fill like staff accountants, AR, AP, whatever. We, we still are, but it's just way more challenging uh, to find the right talent with the right background. I think there's been a big shift in accounting, just systems and all the automation and all that. So mm. I, I don't know if that's helping us too much, but that's been challenging. Sales positions are always, you know, unique. Yeah. Finding somebody who's okay with that kind of like drive and the quota and the commission and all that. Um, but overall, I mean, every position has been challenging in its own way. Even just like, you know, your front desk receptionist, administrative assistant, customer service. I mean, whatever it is, it's, each one has its own little like caveat, as you would say. But uh, we've been able to kind of weather the storm a little bit since it's all we do is just recruit and we're just constantly, we're like a machine, just kind of cranking through interviews. It doesn't hurt us, but with the companies we're working for, are usually like small to medium-sized companies who don't have like the time or resources to go through all these interviews and post up jobs or whatever, I, I can't imagine how, how they're getting jobs filled when they're not you know working with some other additional resources. What are um, what are kind of the best types of questions to ask during an interview of a candidate? Yeah, you know, there's the the typical ones, right? You tell me about yourself. You you know, tell me what would your supervisor say about you. But I think the ones that I've always enjoyed asking are just kind of digging deeper into kind of their passions. What we were talking about earlier. What like what one of the questions that I love asking is what are the top three things you're really looking for in your next job? Because it's very, you can quickly tell where their priorities are at. You know, if they say, I want to jump in salary or I want a close commute or 
I don't want a manager who micromanages me. You can kind of just see like what's really gonna help them feel comfortable and create the environment that they would thrive in. Uh, so just kind of almost, you know, you don't want to give a new hire everything they, you know, they shouldn't be entitled to everything, but just kind of knowing what would keep them engaged and happy and I guess like satisfied in their job is helpful to know more so than like, what are your weaknesses? So, yeah. Well, yeah, because everybody is going to respond by like, my weakness is working too hard. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like right, they're exactly. going to turn something that's, <laughs> too perfect, that's like, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm just too perfect. My, 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 yeah. As you know, patients with vitreous floaters are often frustrated by their symptoms. The challenge as clinicians is to offer solutions for our patients for vitreous floaters that are effective. But more often than not, the options of YAG vitreolysis and vitrectomy are not practical because the benefits don't outweigh the risks. That's where vitreous health from MacuHealth comes into play. Previously on the podcast, I've discussed the flies study with Dr. John Nolan. And the bottom line is that I can be confident prescribing this for my patients with floaters because I can tell them a large randomized placebo control trial found that after six months of supplementation with vitreous health, floaters were reduced in size by approximately 30% and 70% of patients had an improvement in their symptoms. Vitreous health has been great for my patients and we really feel like we have a viable option to treat patients with vitreous floaters now that we didn't have before. If you're not utilizing vitreous health for your patients, reach out to your Macchia Health representative now. One of the challenging things with patients is that when they invest in a really high quality pair of glasses and customized lenses, occasionally it can be difficult to keep those lenses clean, scratch-free, and smudge-free. Now, we have the ability with Crizal Sapphire HR lenses to offer our patients a best-in-class anti-reflective coating that is also resistant to scratches, smudges, and deposits. This means that patients spend more time enjoying clear and comfortable vision and less time caring for their lenses. So remember that you can provide patients with the best in quality, best in class, transparency, clarity, durability, and UV protection in a single Crizal coating. If you want to learn more about Crizal Sapphire HR, contact your Essilor account executive or visit EssilorPro.com backslash Crizal. That made me wonder about, um, yeah, like in that interview process, is it is it wise to ask about like, where do they see themselves in six months, in six years? I mean, are, are there, are there things that can be helpful as a, as a business owner, um, or a, a hiring, uh, entity to get information about the longevity of somebody within the practice or even knowing, or within the, the job or knowing, uh, what that person is going to need to be satisfied or those types of questions because somebody's life is always in flux, you can't really know or they, they can't give you accurate answers to? I'm glad you said that because it really is tough, tough to tell. And I always have to tell my clients, I'm not a mind reader. So, you know, the candidates sitting here telling me they, they love this job. They'll accept, accept right away. They want, you know, to work here forever or whatever. But then if you fast forward a few months, sure, you know, their, their husband's getting relocated or, they decided to go back to school. It's just like, we never really know. And we never place somebody into a position, you know, knowing they're going to law school next year or knowing they, this is just a stepping stone for them. But 
at, sometimes it's just truly hard to tell uh, what what is going to happen. And like I said, we are m- not mind readers and we're working with people and people are unpredictable. So that can be tough. It doesn't hurt to ask because sometimes it can be pretty telling, especially if they're applying for one position and then you ask them where do they see themselves in two years and it's something totally different. I mean, it's good to know those things, but Sometimes that what I'm finding is some employers are overthinking it a little bit much. And we're really big on just giving people the opportunity, hiring them based off their potential rather than, you know, their past because they're mostly entry level anyway. But yeah, it can be, it can be tough. Sometimes you just have to take a chance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the thing I always want to think about is like, I'm, when we hire people, I I generally look at them as like, I want them to be with us for a very long time. And so mm-hmm. the the kind of question, that's probably the wrong question, and I don't usually ask it, but it's going through my mind, is I just want to sort of cut to the chase and be like, look, we want we want to hire you, but I need to know what you want to be happy, like what's going to make you happy in six months and what's going to make you happy in like three years. I don't ever ask this, but I always wonder like, maybe I should just ask that because like, you know, like you're saying, well, maybe it just helps them clarify. Maybe they don't even know, you know, maybe they're not even thinking about it. Like you're saying, it's like, well, maybe they're looking at the income. Maybe they're looking at the benefits. Maybe they're looking at the hours, you know, but I, I can't really know. And, and, um, so anyway, that's just one of the things that I've, I've never, I don't think I've asked. Um, but I always think I want to, but it might not just be the best question. That's all. I mean, I don't know. Cause yeah, then it's just it like, what a- do I, what do I have to do to make you happy? You know, because right. as an employer, I want you to be here for a while. Mm-hmm. It is a popular question. I mean, just where do you see yourself in the next couple of years? Or, you know, one thing that a lot of employers do is they'll look at, you know, their job history. Just, you know, because we do, I come across so many job hoppers. And I'm going to sound like my dad again, but I'm clearly not, you know, I've been with Rock since I graduated It's okay. College He's and- a nice guy. <laughs> he is a nice guy. <laughs> um, but I'm just, it amazes me how often people are jumping from job to job and they'll do it for just, you know, a few cents more here, a couple dollars Mm. more in their hourly pay or whatever. I mean, it doesn't take much. Yeah, it is crazy. Um, And I feel like there's just no, unfortunately, there's no clear question you could ask to prevent that or whatever. I mean, I think more so because you can only tell so much in an interview and any candidate is always going to tell you whatever you want to hear in an interview because they want the job. But I think what's more important is once you decide to take a chance on them and you hire them, just kind of checking in with them regularly. I mean, even more than quarterly, we do kind of like monthly check-ins here. That might be a little, <laughs> little much, but just every so often, you know, grab them, set them aside, talk to them about, you know, their job satisfaction, how things are going. Or even if you did an anonymous survey, you might get a little bit more <laughs> intel if it's anonymous, but things like that, I think are more important than the interview questions because, everyone's going to be, I mean, their minds are in a million different places and things change so often. I mean, I was just talking to a coworker today where like Q1 January, like we were both killing it and then things have kind of like fallen off and it's been harder to fill jobs. But I know, you know, our job has a lot of ups and downs, but Mm -hmm. if you had asked us in January, like how's, how's job going? It's going great. I love it. This is awesome. And now you ask us in like April, May, it's like, well, you know, it's challenging. I'm, I'm frustrated here and there. So I think just kind of checking in with your team on a regular mm. basis is going to be way more telling than any sort of interview question. Then, um, so your company, you work with all types of businesses all across the country. Is that correct? Mostly the up, like up and down the East Coast, but all, yeah, you're right. All the kind of industries, all different sizes. 
Uh, so uh, we work a lot of you know, associations, nonprofits. Those are big for us. Property management has been, I mean, but really any kind of industry, which is, which keeps it interesting. Yeah. And so if you, if, if, if somebody were to hire, so let's say there was a doctor listening on the East coast and they needed to hire a new receptionist, they could contact your company and you would basically go through sort of a pre-interview process and screen candidates. Is that right? Or would you actually select the candidate? Like, I understand your job so well, what you're trying to fill that we're going to do all that for you. Absolutely. I would say the answer is both more times than none companies will like us to just narrow it down and, you know, we'll, we'll screen them. We'll go through the interview process with rocks. We have kind of like a multi-step screening process on us on our end before we send them to you. Um, and then we basically just, instead of when you open your inbox and you're looking at 200 applications, you're looking at like two or three applications of people. We've already interviewed them. We know they're a good fit. We've talked to them about, you know, the practice and what the job entails and they're excited. And then we can just help out the, with the coordination too, which is, you know, cause it's a headache to go back and forth. Like I'd like to meet with you. When are you available? I'm available this time, that time. So we take as much off your plate as you want. There are clients that just say, Hey rocks, I need somebody send me your best person to start next week. And we've done that too. Usually that comes with time. We have to build credibility with that, with that new account, but, um, more times than none, it's just, we're here to kind of narrow it down for you and help with all the back and forth. But then we want our clients to make the the final say. And for somebody to just employers to know this, I, I think it's helpful to do an interview. We're kind of away from the times where we could just say like, this person's hiring, you can start on Monday. They really want to kind of vet them out themselves and make sure it's a good fit for them. So it's almost a red flag to job seekers when you know, you don't get an interview and you just get somebody started. What does that tell? What, like, we would never do that, but why is that a red mm -hmm. flag to job seekers? Like, what do they, what do they see when you do that? Yeah, I think they just, sometimes when you, you have to find the balance because when your interview process takes too long, then that's a red flag because it's just like, you know, why am I going through three rounds of interviews? Don't you, you know, can't you hire me now or whatever. But then when you go too fast, they're kind of like, you know, I haven't met anybody. I haven't seen the office. I don't know what any, anything's like. I don't know if I'm going to like this. So sometimes it just kind of catches them off guard when you, because we used to do that all, all the time. And now it's like, you have to at least do some sort of touch point, like at least a phone call or something so that they know it's, and I, that may be like that might be because of all the, the scammers out there and all the different mm -hmm. you know, things. And um, I think that's really picked up in the last couple of years. You really have to kind of prove yourself a little bit. But yeah. um, I think it's more so just like the turnaround time. You, like I said, finding the balance between don't want to take too long, but if you go too, go too fast, they might you know take someone else a little bit more seriously. You brought up scammers. Do you mean like people that are that would take like a remote job or multiple remote jobs? What do you mean by that? Well, I was just saying because, you know, right now it's, it's so easy to get scammed in every way. I mean, I know a lot of employers are getting scammed on their end with remote workers. I was just talking yeah. to a client about that last week, you know, or somebody says they're one person, they're not, or they completed their degree, but they actually didn't. There's a lot of that going on. I guess on the job hmm. seeker side, I just think, you know, go show up to this office. They're expecting you at 9 a.m. on Monday. Right. It's just kind of right. that, that fear of the unknown. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you I you don't I don't even think about that stuff although I should. Okay, so I want to change gears and give you a, a chance to talk about your podcast. Um so when did you start the podcast? 
So yeah, to bring up COVID again, um, you know, COVID was definitely a down downtime in our business. You know, not as many people were hiring, if at all. So uh, here at Roxy, we were working remotely and just really took the time to evaluate you know, our company and what else we could do to offer and, and add resources. And I was interviewing a girl for a financial internship opportunity. And she asked me the, like, the sweetest question. She just said, can I wear like open toed shoes to my interview or is that bad? Like, should I wear flats? And it was just kind of like cute that she just didn't know like the, the proper way to dress for an interview. And it just kind of like hit me like a, a light bulb there. Cause I used to, the joke for me is that I used to not like podcasts. I used to think like, who would listen to this? Or, you know, it sounds like when you're on the radio and you're just looking for the next song, right? Nobody wants to listen to people talk. And then I got really into that. You got older like your dad. <laughs> no, I'm not like, my, yeah. I'm not totally like my dad. <laughs> I'm not that old. Uh, no, not but yet. yeah, I'm getting there. You know, one day. <laughs> one day. One day. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I just kind of like came up with the idea of just providing another resource for our recent grads to turn to. And it's been a lot of fun. Just, you know, we have like a Nest newsletter. So the name kind of goes hand in hand with that. And it's kind of a two part podcast where episodes that I put on myself are kind of what we just talked about, like how to dress for an interview, how to follow up, how to get a professional headshot done or whatever. And then I really like having the opportunity to speak with business leaders and just having them share their story about how they got, you know, where they are today and how they've been able to be successful and what it was like leaving the nest for them. So uh, it's been, it's been a ton of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, my short, my story is not dissimilar. Um, Mostly, mostly it was just, I liked, I did like having uh, long form conversations with people um, and I've tried to, what's interesting to me is, is that I sort of bounce, bounce around. I could sit and have really long conversations, but there is a sort of finite number of people that can listen to really long conversations. I like it, but, but some people just right. won't when Same. you look at the data. Um, mm-hmm. so I've, I've just shortened them, um, to kind of tighten them up a little bit, but they're still probably longer than most podcasts. But anyway, yeah, I mean, it just, it was fun to do. I, and, and, um, I started doing it. I actually really had the idea in 2015. This is crazy. It's 2015, but I didn't really execute it until 2019. And it was the very first week of 2019. And, um, and so I had had a whole year, more than a year before COVID hit. And I'll tell you, like it, it kept me sane during COVID because I was still able to communicate with people, uh, that were going through the same thing. And if you go back and listen to those episodes, Kathleen, you, you will hear the gravity, like the weight of what was going on in my voice. It is really crazy. Yeah. And so I still every now and then go back and listen to some of those episodes, not the right. whole thing, but just to like, what was I thinking about? And was I off base and how off base was I? And anyway, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's been fun. It's been fun. Uh, so right. let, I, I know you and I have some other conversations offline, but, um, if people want to reach out to your company or want to check out your podcast, let them know where they can go. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm definitely active on LinkedIn. So anybody can find me there. I'm sure you'll be able to link it for me, but I'm on there as Kathleen Pellegrino. I, I always say my Pellegrino is still my stage name, but <laughs> I did, you know, my, my maiden name is still what I use for work and stuff. So it's Kathleen Pellegrino on LinkedIn. And then the podcast you can find it on all the major platform sites. Uh, it's called Leaving the Nest. It has like a little bird on the logo there. Um, and then definitely feel free to give us a call here at Rocks. It's R-O-C-S uh, here in Northern Virginia, but we can recruit all over. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks a lot.
said I'm excited for, for today and everything. It's good to see you guys telling. Chris has been obviously a really long time, but I've heard so much about you guys and your family. I talk to your mom a lot, so. Yeah. Has awesome. it been 20 years? You haven't seen her since then? Since no, I saw her at Teresa's funeral. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good for him, but. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Good to see you. Have yeah, fun. good to see you too. Okay, say bye-bye, Mimi. I'll go up in the treehouse in a minute.